following resource is from Welford Baptist Church. Man, I believe we're about to have church up in here. Man, wasn't that good? Thank you, choir, for leading us. Wow, that was incredible. All right, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Let's go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 7. As we continue in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 7 says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, if you've grown up with brothers, or if you have sons, you know, man, dudes are weird, right? Like, fellas, we, we can own this, okay? Like, we smell, we tend to communicate in grunts and single-syllable words, and we still wear that one t-shirt that we've owned since, like, junior high, right? Okay? We're weird, all right? But there's something that probably the weirdest thing about us is this. It's the way that we show love for one another, right? Because to an outside observer, it probably doesn't even appear like love. It appears more like disdain. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Because if you get a group of guy friends together, you know what's about to go down, right? Some high-level trash talking, that's what, right? Like it's got to be the only context in which being called fat, old, ugly, and stupid are actually terms of endearment, right? Like, I mean, in this context, the meaner the words, the higher the level of affection, right? Like, the harder I dish you, the more likely it is that I would die for you, right? But not only do guys get a kick out of beating each other up with our words, we also enjoy, like, literally beating each other up, right? So growing up, what, times, what type of games did we play? Games like thumps, and slaps, right? Where we bruise each other's knuckles or we slap each other as hard as we can to see who can endure the pain the longest, right? Or wrestling, right? Not wrestling, mind you, wrestling. There's a difference, right? Wrestling implies there's still some rule and order. Wrestling is just a free for all, right? So you guys know this, right? You are wrestling. You're not just trying to pin the guy down. You are trying to put him in such a position where he experiences the most pain, right? Like you're not supposed to bend that way, right? Or I can't even breathe anymore because you got me in such a tight headlock. And so when you're wrestling, you know this. When it gets to the point where you can't endure the pain any longer, your opponent it has you in this position that you can't bear it any longer there is only one way out and what is it you cry out for mercy right mercy right you have no choice but to ask that person who's pinned you down to have pity on you because you know there is no other way out the only other option is to keep suffering and so you swallow your pride you cry out for mercy they let you out you laugh a little bit, and then you immediately go right back into inflicting pain on one another, right? But if you've ever found yourself on the receiving end of this, then you have some concept, albeit a pretty twisted and distorted one, but you have some concept of what mercy is. See, mercy is a word that we throw around a lot in church circles, but most people have no concept of what it actually means. We tend to equate it with grace, and mercy and grace definitely overlap. They have a lot of commonality. They even work hand in hand, but mercy and grace are not actually the same thing. Grace is when you are given something good, you are shown kindness when you don't deserve it. Mercy, on the other hand, is when we are shown compassion or kindness when we are in a helpless state. Do you see how, then, God is both gracious and he is merciful? He shows us grace by restoring our broken relationship with him when all we deserve is his wrath and eternal separation. But 
God also shows us mercy. He sees us suffering in our physical and spiritual brokenness, and he has pity on us and desires to rescue us from our misery. I think one of the most beautiful pictures of this is the story that Jesus tells of the prodigal son. You remember this, right? If you remember, there's this wealthy dad. He has two sons. One wakes up one day and decides he loves his daddy's money more than his dad, right? And so he just wants to receive his inheritance, leave, and go live his best life. And so heartbroken, the father gives his son his inheritance. The son goes out, blows it all on booze and poker and prostitutes, thinking he's living the good life. But eventually, daddy's money dries up, right? And things are getting so bad, he ends up sharing slop with some pigs, right? Which is pretty gross to us, but to a Jew, that would have been deplorable. Why? Because in the Old Testament, pigs were seen as being unclean. So to even be near a pig was disgusting. It defiled you, right? So here he is doing what? He's eating with pigs, right? I mean, he has hit rock bottom. He thinks it can't get any worse, and all of a sudden he's dreaming about the glory days, right? Remembering how good he had it with his dad, and he wants to go back, but how could he, right? How could he? That bridge has been burned, but he thinks, maybe, maybe if I go and beg him, then my dad would let me just be a slave in his household. I mean, being a slave, he thinks, would be better than this, but when he returns home, he doesn't even have to grovel, does he? In fact, the father rushes out to greet him, kisses him, gives him a ring, a robe, a party. He won't hear of him being his slave. No, he welcomes him back as his son. Isn't that beautiful? Man, and Jesus tells us this because he wants it to be an illustration for us of God's offer of grace to us, giving us something we don't deserve. In fact, we deserve the exact opposite. But do you see how this parable also gives us a picture of God's Mercy, because the father sees his son's desperate and helpless state, and his heart is filled with compassion. He sees his physical need, and more importantly, he sees his spiritual need, and he has pity on him. One artist, I believe we have this painting, Rembrandt, captured this so well in, his, in painting the scene. Look at this contrast here between the appearance of the father and the pitiful prodigal son. I think we have a close-up of the father and the son here who has been stripped of all dignity with his shaved head. He wears tattered clothes, faded of their original glory, along with a single partial shoe. I mean, clearly the son is physically poor and destitute. But we see here the son is also spiritually and emotionally desperate. He's fallen on his knees, a posture of subservience. And yet what is the father doing here? Man, in love, he humbles himself leaning down to his son's level and hovering over his son to embrace him. Isn't that beautiful, the way Rembrandt pictures this? Many have also drawn attention, as you see in this picture, to the father's hands. Notice how one is sprawling, rugged, and masculine, demonstrating strength and surety and security, while the other is more feminine and tender and delicate, demonstrating compassionate care and mercy. Isn't that amazing how Rembrandt gets all of that into this one image? But this is exactly the picture that Jesus wants us to have of God. He wants us to see that God is both strong and righteous, and yet he is also merciful. 
See, it's no accident that this beatitude immediately follows the previous one. Jesus wants us to see this connection between God's righteousness and God's mercy. Listen to Psalm 116.5. It says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous our God is merciful. Likewise, John 1 tells us that Jesus is full of grace and truth. That God is holy and righteous and true. And yet somehow without compromising any of that, he is also full of mercy and abounding in steadfast love. Indeed, even though the world is fallen because of our sin, even though his righteousness demands that he execute justice, God in his mercy still cares for his creation, even though it's broken. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to speak of how God feeds the birds of the air and and clothes the fields with lilies, right? And how we can likewise trust God to meet our physical needs. And Jesus also says that in his kindness, despite our fallenness, God even makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Friend, do you see God's kindness to you this morning? Because don't forget, the wage of sin is what? Death. So the fact that you're even sitting in here breathing right now is God's mercy to you. Because God isn't just merciful in spite of his righteousness. Check this out. We see that he is also merciful in light of his righteousness. Indeed, we see in scripture that our Father's heart is for the ones who are most desperate, most vulnerable to injustice, the outcasts, the neglected, the forgotten, the oppressed. And he shows mercy to them, listen, by executing justice, by showing his righteousness on their behalf. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 10:18. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Psalm 68, 5, father of the fatherless, protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. Psalm 9, 9, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Psalm 146, 7, the Lord executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry, sets the prisoners free, opens the eyes of the blind, lifts up those who are bowed down. He loves the righteous. He watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Psalm 140.12, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and will execute justice for, bo- for the needy. Isn't this amazing, right? God, listen, wherever you are this morning, God is willing and able to meet your need. Isn't that good to know? That God is both merciful and righteous by meeting physical needs, just like Jesus did in his earthly ministry. Jesus fed the hungry, opened the eyes of the blind, caused the lame to walk. He cured illness. Listen, God is not blind to our needs. He delights in meeting them. But more than meeting our physical needs, listen, God shows his mercy and his righteousness by meeting our most desperate spiritual need. And this is seen most fully in his work on the cross, right? Because God's heart was to save mankind and to reconcile us to himself. Why? Because God is merciful. But again, the wage of sin is death. Right? So listen, to pay for our sin, something had to die. That was the debt that we owed. So for righteousness and justice to be maintained, listen, this debt had to be paid. This punishment had to be exacted. And Jesus says, I'll take it. I'll take it. Do you see how crazy that is? 
The very God whom we offended, the very one that we owe a debt to, the one that we owe that to, he himself took the debt that we owed. He himself bore the punishment that we deserve for sinning against him. And on the cross, as Jesus died, he bore the full wrath of God, demonstrating God's righteousness, even as he offered to us the full love of God, showing us God's mercy. I mean, what kind of glory is this that maintains both righteousness even as it shows mercy? Indeed, instead of condemning us and destroying us with his righteousness, God looked on us in our pitiable estate and satisfied his own righteous demands himself so that we could experience and be transformed by his mercy so that we could become the righteousness of God. I mean, is that not incredible? How could you not want that? God is both merciful and righteous. And as his image bearers, this is the exact image that Jesus wants us to reflect out into the world. Indeed, as his people, we likewise should be both righteous and merciful. Listen to Micah 6.8. It says this, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly or righteously and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Again, notice how the Beatitudes concerning righteousness and mercy are connected. We are called to hunger and to thirst for righteousness. And as we hunger and we thirst for righteousness, as we align our heart with the heart and the will of the Father, listen, we likewise desire mercy just as He desires mercy. So what does that look like? Well, it starts with recognizing with the Apostle James that every good and perfect gift is from above. It comes from God, and it's knowing that I don't deserve anything good, right? I only deserve death and wrath. Why? Because I am poor in spirit. So the fact that I have food on my table, that I have clothes on my back, that I have a roof over my head, that I have money in the bank, that is not a result of my merit. It's not anything good that I have done. Rather, it is God's kindness to me. Do you see how that shifts our perspective on things, right? I don't see all this as being stuff that I own. No, I see that I, have been, I am a steward of what God has entrusted to me. He didn't owe this to me. He didn't give me good things so that I could just hoard them for myself. No, he gave me good things so that I could help others. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy 6, 17. He says, as for the rich in this present age, which by the way, if you're not worried about where your next meal is coming from, from biblical standards, you're rich. You're rich. So he's talking to all of us. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, he says, to be rich in good works, to be generous, to be ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, talking about heaven, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Likewise, when God called Abraham in the Old Testament to a land that he would show him, what did he say? He said, 
I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, he says. I will make your name great. Why? So that Abraham could be made much of, so that he could be famous, so that he could be awesome. No, listen. He says, I will bless you. Why? So that you will be a blessing. See, God has not, or God has blessed us with resources, not so that we could make much of ourselves, but so that we could use those resources to be a channel of his blessing to someone who needs them. Because if God's heart is for the righteousness and mercy for the poor, then what should our heart be for? Man, for righteousness and mercy for the poor. If his heart is for the orphan and the widow, what should our heart be for? For the orphan and the widow. If his heart is for the hungry, the sick, the disabled, what should our heart be for? Man, for the hungry and the sick and the disabled. If his heart is for the stranger, the outcast, and the sojourner, what should our heart be for? Man, for the stranger, the outcast, and the sojourner. If his heart is for the prisoner, the oppressed, and the afflicted, what should our heart be for? Church, our heart should be for the prisoner, the oppressed, and the afflicted. Do you see? Flourishing are you when you show others mercy. Why? Because it shows that you get it. You see that you only have what you have because God has met your needs. So how could you not seek to meet the needs of others? And as you show mercy, Jesus promises here, you will be shown mercy. But likewise, if you don't show mercy, Jesus says, you will not receive mercy. Listen to the conversation he says he's going to have with the unmerciful on the day of judgment. Matthew 25, 41, he says this, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And listen why. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they answer, saying, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry? or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you, and listen to Jesus' response, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus is telling us that we reflect God's righteousness and his mercy and how we respond to people's physical needs. So the question is, are we doing that? Do we have a heart for those in need? Because Jesus says if we don't, then we don't have the heart of God. Because if we did, we would seek to show his righteousness and mercy in meeting physical needs. But listen, we're also called to reflect his righteousness and his mercy in a spiritual sense. See, by putting mercy and righteousness beatitudes back to back, Jesus also wants us to see that when he calls us to righteousness, he is not talking about the self-righteousness that the Pharisees exuded. See, they practiced their righteousness to be seen by others and to look really good on the outside. I mean, they were like the Instagram of the ancient world, right? They're highlighting the good parts of their life and filtering out all the shady stuff, right? See, they only kept all the rules because they wanted to earn God's approval, right? And they thought that they would look better than everybody else in the process. And because they thought they were better than everybody else, they refused to show any mercy. But do you see what's going on here? They completely misunderstood the law. They thought the law was a way to earn righteousness instead of understanding that the law only shows just how unrighteous we are. 
Ironically, in their zeal to withhold mercy and to show their own righteousness, they only revealed just how unrighteous they really were. Why? Because they don't see that they too are broken and are in just as much need of God's mercy as the hooker and the murderer and the tax collector. This was the problem of the other brother in the parable of the prodigal son. When his brother returns, he doesn't rejoice. He resents him for it. And more than that, he resents his father for it, right? Because he's been the good, the dutiful son, right? And here's his loser brother showing back up, and he's getting all the father's attention. And so he goes off into a corner and like pouts. And the father's just perplexed by his attitude. He says, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. But see, look at this. This self-righteous son turns out to be just as bad as the prodigal was at the beginning of this parable. Why? Because it turns out he doesn't care so much about having a relationship with the father. He just wants the father's stuff. It turns out the Pharisee is just as lost as the big-time sinner. In fact, he might be worse because he doesn't even see his need for mercy. But oh, the merciful. On the other hand, being also meek and poor in spirit, they're under no illusion that they've got it all together. They know the only reason they're standing is because God has been merciful to them. And when your eyes have been opened to that, when you see that, when you experience that, how could you not want that for others? Indeed, if we've truly received mercy, we will show mercy. That's why Jesus says here, blessed are the merciful, those who show others mercy. Why? For they shall receive mercy. Now it's important, we need to pay attention to this. We said this week after week, but listen, Jesus isn't saying here that you earn God's favor by doing something good. He's not saying you should strive to do merciful things so that you can earn God's approval and then he will show mercy to you. No, his point here is that the evidence that we have been saved, that we will receive mercy on the last day, is that we are currently being merciful to others. That's the fruit, the overflow of a life that has experienced God's mercy. And if we aren't merciful to others, then that's evidence that we have never truly experienced God's mercy and will not receive it on that last day. Why? Because we are nothing like what he's calling us to. We are just like the Pharisee who doesn't show mercy because he doesn't realize that he also needs mercy. D.A. Carson put it this way. He said, the one who is not merciful is inevitably so unaware of his own state that he thinks he needs no mercy. He cannot picture himself as miserable and wretched. So how shall God be merciful to him? Do you see what's happening here? He's saying he doesn't see his need for God, so therefore he never asks God for mercy, and therefore he never receives God's mercy. But unlike the Pharisee, the disciple of Jesus is poor in spirit, recognizes his own brokenness, as a result mourns, and in meekness longs to see God's righteousness restored in him and all the earth. Carson notes that such a person is merciful to the wretched because he recognizes himself to be wretched. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. In being merciful, he is also shown mercy. But this is so foreign from the way the world operates, isn't it? 
and how we think we maintain a good life. Like, why would I help someone in need? They don't deserve it. I earned this. Why would I show mercy to people who have wronged me? Why would I show kindness to an enemy? Why wouldn't I just get even with them? Indeed, we live in a day and age in which people don't simply disagree with one another. They want to annihilate each other. Just look at all the political unrest in the world today. But you know, that's nothing new to our day and age. Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation, saw a similar spirit in his lifetime. Listen to how he described people back in the 1500s. See if it doesn't sound like today. He says, the whole world is being forced to the conclusion that they have been carrying on their mischief and their violence under the lovely and excellent pretext and cover of doing it for the sake of righteousness. Whew. See, everybody thinks that they're the righteous one, that their cause is the righteous one, and that everyone else is evil. So now I can justify treating you poorly because I'm right, and you're wrong, and I can beat you up physically and verbally because, it, you deserve it. See, this perspective, we seem to think that the problem in the world today is all those people out there. They're the problem. But the Christian writer G.K. Chesterton had a very different response. When asked, what's wrong with the world today, he is said to have responded, I am. I'm the problem in the world today. Friends, that's the attitude of a follower of Jesus Instead of seeing everyone else's sin, I recognize that I'm in need of redemption. I'm in need of God's mercy. And therefore, I will likewise show mercy to others. This is the attitude that marks those who will receive mercy. D.A. Carson puts it this way. He says, it is generally true that the sinner who won't face up to his sin hates all other sinners. But the person who has recognized his own helplessness and wretchedness is grateful for whatever mercy is shown him, and he learns to be merciful toward others. Friend, when God has poured out his mercy on your life, it can't help but overflow into the lives of others. So if this morning your heart is cold to those in need, if your heart is calloused toward the spiritually destitute, listen, that's not evidence that you're righteous. That's evidence that you have a heart that has not been transformed by God's mercy. It's evidence that you have a heart of stone unaware of its own need for God's mercy. And if that's you this morning, that should terrify you. Because Jesus says, you will not receive mercy. But oh, that you would cry out for his mercy this morning and be transformed by his mercy this morning. Because listen, in that moment, you'll no longer need to be told to show mercy. All of a sudden, it will become the ardent and instinctive desire of your heart and the overflow of your life. Why? Because as Jesus says in Matthew 10, 8, freely you have received, 
So now freely you will give. Friends, this is the mark of a life that is flourishing. An ever-flowing stream of mercy without end. New every morning, filling and transforming you day by day overflowing the banks of your heart and spilling into the lives of those you encounter, transforming the brokenness around you and restoring shalom to all who receive it. Because where you go, the kingdom goes. And where the kingdom goes, the mercy flows. How fortunate are you, believer, comforted and content, loved and accepted? Indeed, heaven and earth are yours. Life is good. Blessed are you when you're merciful, for you shall receive mercy. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our church, visit welfarechurch.org. Blessings.